0: going to spend most of my time in James chapter 3, which starts out talking about words and the power of the tongue. It's James, the Lord's brother, and he writes a beautiful segment of his epistle concerning the power of words, the power of the tongue, and it ends up with talking a discussion about seeds. But I want to give you the reason why I'm preaching tonight. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 is the golden text of what I've been starting the series out with and here's the why of why I'm teaching about and bringing your attention to seeds why I think Jesus came on the scene and in Capernaum and in Nazareth and in Jerusalem and all over the place he would reiterate these things about seeds the sower sows the word while the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease I listened to some 50s on the radio, and today, and Chuck Berry was singing. But that genre kind of came and went. And there's even a Beatles channel on Sirius Radio. And dare I say, that was just a season. And it's such a big deal when I was in elementary school, Beatlemania. Over in Liverpool, I saw the the big plaque they put up: four young men that changed the world. They did in terms of pop culture, good and bad. But these things cycle. You know, you listen to the beautiful, emotive music of Beethoven. When you figure out that some of what he wrote was during the time he was deaf, he had to lay on the stage floor to feel the vibrations. Just showed what kind of a work ethic the guy had. And you listen to the music, it's kind of an acquired taste, you know. It's like the first time I ran into coffee. It's like, why are people drinking this bitter, burned bean? But I have grown to love it. But I I want to talk to you about this. You know, things come and go. Trends happen. But we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. His throne is forever and ever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And let that produce some permanence, a sense of stability in your spirit. That what we have endeavored to give our lives to is very, very deep. Jesus is the Lord. He is the Word. He's the eternal Word. He's what is called the Word made flesh, the Word incarnate. Some denominational churches call their parish incarnate Word, and it's a beautiful, elegant statement about, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and glory. Jesus appears on the scene. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's amazing about the mystery of words is that for those of us who have embraced the biblical layout, the Christian worldview, whatever you want to call it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it by saying, let there be light. And there was light. And he said it was good. God watches over his word to perform it. You know, I asked Patsy to marry me, and she said yes. We, that was wonderful. Hallelujah. And I had a, the start of a wonderful, white-hot relationship. Praise God. But also, I've started some fires on the other end of the spectrum with words. You know, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And uh, those who love it will eat its fruit. So what I want to get over to you, I pray in Jesus' name, we can get concentrated, get a spirit of wisdom and revelation tonight. For most of us, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm stirring up your sincere minds by way of reminder. So I'm going to just reiterate things that are truths that you already know. But that, in fact, is okay. Both Peter and Paul said this, that um, Paul said it's... uh, not a problem for me to repeat myself, and in fact, it's a safeguard for you. So he didn't even apologize for repetition. You know, I went to a series of meetings of a, just a wonderful, sincere equipper that really impacted my life. And he got up and quoted the same two scriptures for probably eight months. Every time I heard him preach, I was sitting next to another minister with a dry sense of humor, and he said, so much for having to come up with new material, I don't have the responsibility of coming up with uh, a bunch of trendiness or giving you new material. I'm actually responsible to bring this amazing, seasoned, deep, authentic, hallelujah reality to you. Amen? Amen? So while the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. So I want to bring you to this focus because this is the verse that came up in my spirit today. And boy, I needed it for me. Maybe it'll help you. In fact, I know it will. But I know this was for me today. James chapter three verse eighteen, that's the last verse of that chapter, and uh, this is a conclusion of James' thought. Whoever came along a couple hundred years ago and started to put chapter and verse to the Bible to make things uh, easier for us to study, before these were scrolls, and you just had to kind of know where it was located physically in the scroll. And then someone had the decency and commitment and wherewithal to bring it, break it into chapters and verses. And that's really a blessing for us for our, our approach to study. So, you know, we can get up and say, here's the chapter, here's the verse. So it's chapter 3, verse 18. It's, I think, whoever labored to itemize these verses and put them in chapters realized this was a break in the narrative and a transition. So this is the end of this chapter, and he says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Can we say this out loud together? And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit so that it's not just so many words in a sentence, but let's read it one more time together. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, as I was preparing this, I was reading a commentary and the writer said from the previous verse, this this last conclusion paints a pretty vivid word picture. You imagine the fields full of and ready for harvest, the crop of the field is what's right and good and everything that comes from God, everything we hope for in the world. How did it get there? How did anything good get in the world? The crop was planted by those who make peace. James elevates the role of peacemakers. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking of the Beatitudes. I had the opportunity to actually be there by the Sea of Galilee where archaeologists and tour guides think, This might have been where Jesus actually shared what is itemized in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. When Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he said, for they will be called the sons of God. What I want to get over to you tonight is the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We're called to be peacemakers. Jesus came to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. We understand there'll be a false peace. They'll say, peace, peace, but there is no peace. But there is a real peace that passes understanding, a peace that produces settledness in the heart, a peace that, that is a fruit of righteousness. It's a seed whose fruit is righteousness. It's, in other words, we're called to carry an awareness that we're given the responsibility to sow seeds. The sower sows the word. Jesus understood he was called to walk to and fro bearing precious seed, We as his followers in our increment of life, as long as their earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. So now it's our turn. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I I think about this because uh, the Lord's bondservants should not be quarrelsome. And there's a lot, and if you go back to 1 Corinthians, uh, one of the the definitions of love is that it's not quickly irritated. (laughs) And it's not irked. So this verse, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but uh, I needed this verse today. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's something about not just pacifying decorum, not just namby-pamby diplomacy, but maturity and weightiness. A soft tongue breaks a bone. There's one who speaks rashly as the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the righteous is actually a fountain of life. The tongue of the righteous feeds many. So here's the instruction from the scriptures. James concludes this chapter about the tongue by talking about wisdom from above and earthly wisdom, and he shows the contrast of it. But he he puts us in touch with where we get this dynamic about being a peacemaker, and that is, When we commit to the Lord, one of the takeaways is we live more peacefully and more fully confident that God will provide for us. Therefore, we don't have to go and take matters into our own hands, get overly assertive and overly aggressive. We're not to be pushovers. We're also not to be uh, harsh. The Lord's bondservants should not be quarrelsome. I think this is one of the frustrations I have with how media and newscasting has trended away from information communication in an arbitrary, objective way, so that we as listeners can make uh, mature decisions and rational evaluations and be informed. And it's shifted into massive manipulation and spin-doctoring. And so we have to be careful what we listen to, for by our standard of measure, it'll be measured to us and moral will be given besides. We need to watch what we watch. We need to listen. We need to listen with discerning ears. Even as we hear the teaching of the scriptures, we need to study to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. To judge scripture with scripture, to make sure it lines up with the redemptive work of Jesus. Does it honor the Lord? Is it biblical? Is it in context? We need to do that all the time through the course of our Christian lives with the help, thankfully, of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, who only and always will guide us into all the truth. And it says in Hebrews chapter five, one of the definitions of being mature is by reason of practice we have our senses trained to discern good and evil and I've talked to a lot of Christians I've been texting a guy who is in another country right now and we've been going back and forth and he was trying to use verbiage to communicate to me that he's having a sense in his spirit and he's trying to qualify his terms like I, ha- I have a witness and I have a sense because we don't want to say I feel like God is saying because we in this culture aren't to be led by our feelings so we're having we have a hard time. It's more than semantics, though. But yet it says in Hebrews chapter 5 that we can actually have our spiritual faculties trained to discern good and evil. And those of us who have violated that and pushed past it, we know the harshness of the results. And those of us who have complied with that and yielded to it, we've had some amazing things happen in God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, Romans eight fourteen, are the sons of God. I believe God led you to church tonight. And I believe that I'm being led to communicate this about seeds. So it gets in your spirit and revelation comes. It's the, the, These things germinate and they take root. Things concerning salvation, things that produce confidence. Like, you know what? Hey, I've given my life to Jesus and he is trustworthy. And we're to increase in faith and actually grow in faith and therefore grow in confidence and be less nervous and less worried and more affirming of the fact that we know God is going to He's going to pull this all together and work everything together after the counsel of his own will. There's going to be a great global harvest. Jesus is coming back to a glorious church. All the nations of the earth will have heard the gospel. The knowledge of him will permeate every place. We as a church body are under instruction in a specific uh, way to figure out what that means for us and comply with it and press into it. But on the individual basis, these seeds are in your life And you are a carrier of the word of God. And when you speak to mountains, they remove. And when you preach the gospel, God confirms it with signs and wonders. When Paul went to the Roman Empire, the big, gilded, awesome, pillared, amazing, toga-wearing, chariot-riding, senate-producing, sophisticated, crazy, hedonistic, festival-weirdness stuff... He faced off with it and said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. One of my favorite verses in Isaiah, don't turn to it, is Isaiah 32, 17. It ties in with the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. The effect of righteousness will be peace. In righteousness, you will be established, Isaiah later said. You'll be far from oppression, and you will not fear. When Taylor was leading us in, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, that was powerful. When Holly led us in the song, I am saved, that was powerful. When we sang, I'm anointed, where else do we get these affirmations? Hopefully in our personal prayer life, hopefully in our study time, but definitely not much in the culture. This is why I am believing God that we all carry the gospel into the business culture, the education culture, the arts and entertainment culture, the military culture, law enforcement culture, the family culture, religion culture. I've been praying for cults that they get out of being cultic and they get into the culture of the kingdom. They get a mid-course correction. Those who seek, and I've talked to cultists, and I commend them at least that they're spiritual and seeking, therefore, something beyond the natural. But I say, don't stop there. Keep seeking. Jesus is the answer. He's the gold at the end of your rainbow, man. Don't stop seeking. Instead of scolding and badgering them about how off they are, uh, you know, Jesus told one guy, said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He could have said, you rotten sinner, you're 1% off. He said, no, you're close. Can you imagine how that guy felt when he went away from Jesus? And he said, hey, what did he say to you? He just said, I'm not far from the kingdom of God. Like, Jesus is fanning the flame on this guy. Religious people is like, you're not like me. You're not a, you know, I have a problem with that. We are carriers of the culture of the kingdom to advance this. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And when you have confidence in peace and you're settled with God, you don't get so weird. You don't try to overdo it. You don't try to push it. You're not, you don't become heavy-handed because you're so confident in God that you're peaceful about it. Therefore, you speak the word. You don't have to yell and scream. For a long period of time in my prayer life, I thought volume made the difference. And really, I, I almost had to go to a throat specialist. I almost blew out my throat. And Kingston was a little child, and he was walking around talking like Popeye the Sailor Man. And he walked walk around and said, Hey, Mama, dad." Hey, what? And we were freaked out. It's like what? What? What pirate jumped onto the inside of our little three-year-old? Arg! Shiver me timbers! So Patsy took him to a throat specialist, and the throat specialist said, "Hi son, can you?" "Hi, my name's Kingston." She looked over at immediately. She looked at, at my wife and said, "And I wasn't there." She said, "What does your husband do for a living?" Uh, he's a pastor of a church." "Okay, he's mimic." mimicking his voice so he needs to change his voice I would come to worship services and I would sing at the top of my lungs I would come to prayer meetings and I would pray as loud as I could pray and then I would come and preach and I would push my voice too hard and I'm grateful that lady doesn't even know she rebuked me indirectly but really it's a doctrine it's a theology The devil doesn't necessarily respond to how much volume we have and how much exertion we have. It's the authority of the power of the name of Jesus. By the way, God's hand is on you. Keep praying. Keep believing God. Keep speaking the word. Keep trusting God in this. And even what I'm saying about this, your whispers of faith are more significant than you realize. Your whispers of faith. You move mountains when you pray. And you and you know, even when you think the thoughts of God. One time I asked a preacher, I said, How about silent prayer? Does God answer silent prayer? And it was after a big meeting, and the guy taught, and the guy was so he was not very social. And I said, Sir, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah. And he was trying to look for a way out, you know, and he thought I was one of those guys, you know, after a service. I guess I was. And I said, Does God answer silent prayer? And he looked at me like, like, don't you listen to anything I've been teaching? This is how he reacted. Of course he does. And then he walked off. <laughs> he, had, he was being taught how to swim, and he said, I actually pray while I'm swimming, you know, so I don't say anything. I'm thinking it. That's awesome, isn't it? There's a whole area of the spoken word, of declaring things in faith. Speak the word only, and my servant will be healed, is what the centurion realized about Jesus. And this When the sower sows the word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So I'm preaching because as long as the earth remains, there's going to be seed time and harvest. And we sow with a view to righteousness. We reap according to kindness. We break up the fallow ground for he's about ready to rain righteousness on us. Here's the prophetic caveat of the moment. We are coming into a cycle because there are seasons. We're to be ready in season and out of season. We as a, Era, we as a generation, we as a movement, we as a region, we as a nation, we in this particular time sequence are coming into a cycle of opportunity where things are going to change, doors are going to open, a great door of effective service has opened to us, and there are many adversaries. I don't like that last part. There will be a time where there'll be no devil, all of our all the evil will be vanquished, no temptation, therefore no sin, no sickness. There will be no more death the former things will all pass away there'll be new heaven and a new earth it's going to be an amazing era eons upon eons ages upon ages and it's going to be better than we could even possibly describe because we're just looking through a glass darkly eventually face to face but we're peering in and we're looking and this is certainly something that we can act on right now we're called to be peacemakers we're called to carry seeds in our prayer, in our our wording. Listen, you can speak a genuine word of encouragement, not flattery, because flattery is for manipulation purposes, but you can speak a word of encouragement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or just by a subtle prompting. It could change somebody's future. You could show up at church and pray in faith for somebody. You don't have to be overly demonstrative. You just need to be in faith. It could nudge them right out of a ditch. A lady talked to us about a time, Addison, just got ministered to a lady. She had been in depression for over a year and she got a breakthrough. She got the breakthrough in that moment. She talked about it years later. It was a defining moment. I pray this will be a defining moment for you tonight. I pray this will be a blessing for you. I pray breakthrough would happen to you. Hallelujah. In fact, I'm I'm sowing these seeds to produce faith. My goal in preaching is that it'll trigger something of mind renewal, it'll give you hope. It'll alert you to something, get you ready for something. Dare we believe that our obedience can affect change in the earth? This is what James is saying. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Throw your shoulders back. Hold your head up a little bit. Take a deep breath. Thank God. He's called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Not just as a personal fetish, but in order that you could show forth the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. We're not called to hoard the groceries. Church is at its best when we're generous, when we're giving, when we're sowing, when we believe in God for these things to come to pass. Since we know every one of our needs is met and God is the giver of many good gifts, then we don't feel the need to fight against others for what? We need because we know that God has provided for us. Therefore, we are peace-loving. Our lifestyles are such that it leads us into the field of of righteous choices. Gives us confidence. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to bear down and control. We don't have to strut and pose. We don't have to push our agenda because we can trust God. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. By my God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love this additionally, what James says. The whole idea of this chapter in James, it asks the question right before this, who is wise and understanding among you? Look at what it says in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? And then James begins to define it. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. David said, your gentleness has made me great. I think the aspects of our country, as far as I could tell, so I'm a student of history a bit, we're at our best when we go forth with these virtues. The best part of our country has come from the Lord Jesus. The best part of every man, woman, or leader in our country has come from these deeply embedded virtues. The best part of society and humanity is from the theme that God has provided. Because in the beginning, God created us in his image for his purposes. I do really love humanity. I'm not a humanist, but I'm a human being. A humanist is dismissive and just does it in its own. It's just the development and evolution of its own, apart and detached from God. I'm not that, but I am a human being. And Jesus lives on the inside of me. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And that he has sown his word into my life and the best part of what's happened in my life has been the result of his word. I am the product of a person sowing the seed of love, of the word of God. In boldness, not that excellently, stammering a little bit, stuttering, nervous, wondering if I was going to reject him. Yet he said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. James chapter 3, it asks, who is wise and understanding? James quickly answers, the truly wise, the truly understanding person is the one whose faith in God leads to selfless good works. Wise people live in the humility of wisdom, setting themselves aside to serve others. Greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. We don't care about our own interests. We care about the interests of others. And we constantly crucify the selfish, narcissistic, me-me tendencies of our flesh, which is, it's all shared. And we crucify that and we serve one another. That's not worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, in fact, is very self-centered. Worldly wisdom and earthly attitudes are earthly, they're sensual, they're natural, and they're even demonic driven by envy and jealousy for what others have and an ambition to take it from them. The result is disorder and every evil thing instead of peace, gentleness, and mercy. Let's look at this, in fact. The wisdom that is from below is earthly, natural, and demonic. That's why we should pray for those in authority over us that instead of earthly, natural, sense-ruled, and demonically-influenced decision-making, that... Cooler heads prevail. We pray for those in authority over us so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Christians were never off the hook with this, including the Jewish people, even when they had to live in Babylon under crazy people like Nebuchadnezzar building statues and saying, if you don't bow to my statue, I'm going to cook you in an oven. And they had to still pray for that guy. And God did something with them because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tells us workers, even if your boss is a Christian, don't take advantage of them. And if your boss is perverse and evil, serve them anyway. Radical elements coming out of this book. It faces off with the deception and corruption of humanity and the flesh as a result of the fall. And Jesus makes crooked paths straight. Jesus holds out a plumb line. Jesus shows us how to function, man. Shows us husbands. Hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. Treat your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Forgive so your prayers aren't, aren't hindered. I mean, prayer, our fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much. I have massive incentive to repent on the micro, daily, second-by-second second level. Why? Because I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I don't want to displease God. I have a massive incentive to repent of worry and fear. And this is, in fact, what, when we get settled on this, a confidence comes into our lives. And we start walking with, you know, God is going to cause all these things to work together for good. And I've been with some brothers and sisters in here who have been through some things and have been sorely tempted to almost be in a why God, why, and why me. And I've noticed people deflecting that self-pity thing by the grace of God. And when you go through a bunch of protracted trial, that certainly can become a temptation. But man, when you see how good God is, You can even actually look at it this way and go, man, it could have been a whole lot worse. But for the grace of God, go I. Like when the church building flooded. I thought, well, at least we got our stuff out first. Really? And that's still what I look at. God prompted us to get our stuff out. And God provided wonderful, thoughtful people to step up in three and a half hours and evacuate the building. Take the doors off the hinges. To God be the glory. So you look at things and go, God, how did this happen? I was serving you, and then this happened. And I... First of all, it's not God's fault. Secondly, duh, the world has fallen. The world is passing away, and all of it's less. But the one that does the will of God will abide forever. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. So this helps us to get out of this narcissistic whining thing, which produces disorder and every evil work. Boy. Where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's confusion and every evil work. It Like it rings the bell for demons to start disrupting things. You can see this stuff bearing down in our world. You can hear the voices of agitation and the seeds being sown, seeds of hostility, seeds of darkness, seeds of hate. What do we do? We just have to out-sow, and we just have to get those seeds out This is why I do those TV spots. They're seeds. Not advertising to get somebody to a specific church. It's I refuse to let people ignore Jesus under my watch. I do not want people to ignore him. I want him to be famous through our life experience. But if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. There's hope. There's hope. So... The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Boy, let's just let this settle into our spirit. What does this mean? It means we need to speak the truth in love. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent. We need to be selective with what we say and how we say it. I believe the Lord will really help us. There's so much material in here. But everybody say this with me. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness... Is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, cops are trained. Cops are trained. And I've talked to our members of law enforcement. They have specific training to talk people off the ledge, so to speak. Negotiation skills for their job. Well, moms need that. Dads need that. You know, it's funny. Uh, When Steve, my son-in-law, was growing up in his mom and dad's house, he was exerting leadership skills right? And so the mom, and this is the way he shared it. She said, I know you're called to leadership, but now is not the time. And I am not the one. That is a mule kick from a mom. Very subtle. That'll, that'll get the kid to just bridle, right? So here's the deal. Homework. You get in situations, God will call upon you to be a peacemaker, an arbiter. You don't have to over-meddle, and you don't, you don't have to overcommit. But there will be occasions where they'll call upon you. And you might even put a little bit of a five-second delay on it just to hear from God. But then be bold. The Lord's put his word in your heart and your mouth, right? That's what the Bible says. This covenant is involved that, that we're involved with, God said he'll write his word on our heart and on our mind. There's so much more in you than you even really grasp. The devil is the one that tries to demean, belittle, discount. He's the accuser. And uh, he'll try to lure you into that to make you less effective. My deal is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. I've shown up again another night to bring that edge to you so you can cut through the junk in this world and make that meaningful difference in subtle things and in larger issues. When we're faithful in small things, God gives us responsibility over bigger things. And, you know, we, we know not to be megalomaniacs, and we know not to be all high minded, and we know not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But we do need to think soberly, as God has allotted to each a measure in the faith And that we have this place in this world as co-laborers, as joint heirs, as ambassadors for Christ. And it's usually the tendency of us Christians to not want to go into pride and pushiness and that sort of thing. But did you know that self-loathing and then that self-deprecating isolation that comes with it is a close cousin? It's another form of pride. God just wants us to get in the zone with him and say, I am what I am by the grace of God. I heard a preacher say, if you think you're prettier or more handsome than other people or smarter than other people or better than other people, then out of your mouth you say, I'm nothing without you, Jesus. But if you start feeling defeated and you start feeling discounted and you don't feel like you're all that and you feel shame and and self-loathing, boldly throw your shoulders back and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Point, counterpoint. See, I'm sowing seed. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. People that led me to the Lord were confident in the gospel and they sowed the seed and they trusted that I would go walk away and it's the seed would do its work. The farmer goes, sows the seed, he goes to bed at night, he doesn't know how it grows, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corner of the ear and then the harvest comes and they're to put in the sickle. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness, Hosea chapter 10 verse 12. Break up the fallow ground, for he's about ready to rain righteousness on you. Coming into a new level. You're coming into a new era. Everybody say amen. Amen. So, Father, the seed whose fruit is righteousness, let's look at James chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness, it says in the NIV. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Say that with me. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of that which is right, that which is good, that which is better. The New Living Translation of the same verse, the New Living Translation, it says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Can we read this? And those who who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness.